Well, before we get in our study, I shared last time, three weeks ago, I shared some thoughts, some quotes, and ran across some thoughts here from Charles Spurgeon over his lifetime, a few quotes that, that are worth remembering, things to think about. And I thought these were kind of the highlight ones. Here's a few. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Think about that. When God places a burden upon you, he places his arms underneath you. I like that. And here's what he says. My entire theology can be condensed into four words. Jesus died for me. Jesus wept, but he never complained. And then finally, faith is not a conclusion you reach, it's a journey you live. So, those were some interesting quotes from Charles Spurgeon. We all know who he was, right? Great commentator and pastor. Well, how many here this morning have heard of a missionary named Barnabas? Ever heard of him from the Bible? He joined the Jerusalem church soon after Jesus died, and according to Acts 4, sold his property, gave the proceeds to the community. Barnabas was a strong supporter of the Apostle Paul, and he brought Saul from Tarsus, as recorded in Acts 11. This believer accompanied Paul on his missionary trips. He spoke before the Jerusalem councils, written in Acts 15. And later in that chapter, Barnabas had a disagreement over John Mark with the Apostle Paul, and they split, creating two missionary teams. However, Barnabas and Paul got close again, as in 1 Corinthians 9, 6 and Galatians 2, 1 records, Oh, do only Barnabas, and I have the right to refrain from working. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised." Barnabas's name means son of exhortation or son of encouragement, and that he was especially to Paul. But like Paul, we need words of encouragement. We need exhortations, and we're going to continue our series, Exhortations for These Last Days this morning, with the second of four exhortations as we turn to Philippians chapter 2 together beginning of verse 1. Philippians 2, beginning of verse 1. And before we look at God's word together, let's open in prayer. Father God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your working in our lives each day, how you walk with us, how you take care of us, that you love us. At times when we turn from you, Lord, you you still keep loving us and you still keep working in our lives. And I pray this morning that we might take the exhortation, the encouragement that we see here in Philippians chapter 2 and we might 
heed it, we might listen to it, we might act upon it, that it not just be for hearing, but also for doing. We're thankful for how your Holy Spirit will work and continue to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, three weeks ago, we covered the first exhortation, which is to stand fast in the midst of persecution, and that was Philippians 1, 27 to 30. We discovered what we can stand fast, we can stand firm by being in one spirit, with one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel, and in suffering for our faith. This morning we'll look at the second of four exhortations in our series, and that is, be spiritually united. Be spiritually united. As we continue on in Philippians chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 1 to 4. And these four verses give us three ingredients combined together so we, as God's children, can be spiritually united. So look with me at Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. The first ingredient is this. It's blessings of spiritual unity. Blessings of spiritual unity. And we just read that here in verse 1 in the first part of verse 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. There are many, many blessings to spiritual unity. And why do we need spiritual unity in the world we live? I think it's pretty obvious. Because the world isn't going to applaud or pat us on the back for what we believe from God's Word. We will and we will continue to face persecution. It will come in different ways. But we definitely see opportunities at times closing in our own country. We have one chance on earth to serve the Lord. One. One opportunity as we are one body in Christ. The word therefore that we begin chapter 2 with connects what Paul has said to what he is going to say. We are commanded to be of one mind and spirit back at chapter 1 verse 27. So we must therefore, and we also need to remember all these ifs here don't mean if and it may not be true, would better read since or so if this condition is true, and it is, then get the following reading. Therefore, based on the command to be of one mind and one spirit, and it's definitely true, there are blessings that we receive because of that. The first one is encouragement in Christ. 
coming alongside to give assistance, like the example of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. How would that man who was beaten and left for dead along the road, if the Good Samaritan had not stopped and acted and did something to encourage, to help that man? We need to think about all the blessings that we have in Christ. Our eternal home is where? In heaven, in God's presence. While on this earth, we should sing songs like Blessed Assurance and To God Be the Glory. And I like this word Charles Swindoll uses a lot with gusto. We can sing off tune, but we can sing with gusto. We are saved by grace through faith because He is risen. We just celebrated Easter. So we need encouragement in Christ. We need to think about Jesus every morning when we wake up and say, Lord, help me to serve you. Help me to reflect you to those around me. Because we're going to be in eternity with the Lord. So encouragement, we have that. That's a blessing. Secondly, consolation or comfort of love. That's the consoling love that gives comfort. Jesus' consoling love that He gives to us by the grace of salvation. We didn't deserve it. We didn't merit it. We didn't earn it. But we are shown His mercy and grace that God chose us and saved us. God's Son shows His sons and daughters as recorded in Romans 5.5 and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We're to show this love toward each other. When someone loses a loved one, when someone is discouraged, when someone in the world around us collapses, there's many, many opportunities. And are we looking for those opportunities? Why? Because someday there will be a day when we need or crave for someone to reach out for us when we're struggling. When someone is struggling, do they say, I need help? No. We need to recognize it as fellow believers and act and say, not only am I going to pray for you, but what can I do for you? Put an arm around their shoulder. I believe that's okay. In the world we live in, I believe that's okay for believers to do that. One thing that has closed the door, I have found since retiring from Pinellas County Jail, you can't touch people anymore. When somebody's hurting, you can't touch them because one of the inmates said, he hurt my shoulder, and so now you can't touch anyone over there. You know, the human touch, they say with babies who've heard all the studies, they need it. You know, when we grow up and not babies anymore, do we need it too? Once in a while, to know somebody really cares. So we need to act. Any comfort of love, John MacArthur shares, comfort portrays the Lord coming. I love this. Comfort portrays the Lord coming close and whispering words of gentle cheer, of tender counsel in the believer's ear. I God come into our whispering in our ear. I'm with you. I'm standing with you. Don't give up. 
We definitely need our Lord's cheer and counsel, don't we? Amen. We need to be applying Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We need to cheer and counsel each other. Galatians 6, 2 tells us, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And as I was working on this message this week, I came across this reminder that I will share. Her name is Jamie Selke, and she's in the Lowell Correctional Institution in Ocala. And she wrote this, his love. Just something to think about. She's in prison. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving me this day. I pray for your guidance as you send your love this way. I never knew such freedom as I do inside. No more will I run away and hide. Life is such a journey. The path always goes uphill. Yet I thank you for grace and mercy, allowing me to feel you never turn your back on me. Your love is always the same, even when I hated life and gave you all the blame. I can accept this love because you now live within my heart. I can feel your presence here no longer far apart. He's with us wherever we are, whether it's behind bars, whether by the grace of God, I always reminded myself every time I went in Pinellas County Jail, except for the grace of God, I could be on the other side easily. God is with us. A third blessing, fellowship of the Spirit. We're eternally saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.21 Now he who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a deposit. We as believers need to get used to each other on earth as we'll be spending eternity with each other in heaven in Jesus' very presence. That's illustrated in Acts 2, we won't turn to it, but verses 41 to 47. With spirit-led believers in the early church, they put everything together, and if people had need, they took. But you know, there was always plenty, and you know why? Because they were given for each other, because they were giving out of God's love in their heart. Does God ever run out of resources? He always short where he says, oh, I've got to replenish it. I've got to work with those people down there who keep messing things up. No. God's resources are unlimited and he can use other believers to minister. We need that. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. This was pointed out, Pastor Jack, everything we do should be for God's glory. We need to Look at our lives when we are making a decision. Will it bring glory to God? Will it reflect 
in a good way about the testimony that we have toward those around us. So we need fellowship of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us together. And then it talks about affection and compassion. Affection speaking of emotions, uh, the deep personal longing for those we dearly loved. And compassion speaking of putting on a heart of kindness, gentleness, and patience. Colossians 3.12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Failure to enjoy these blessings of being of one mind and one spirit weaken the local church. Great preacher and commentator Harry Ironside relates this, The mind of Christ is the lowly mind, And if we are all of this mind, we shall walk together in love, considering one another and seeking rather to be helpers of one another's faith than challenging each other. The beginning of verse 2, we know Paul records, make my joy complete. As God's servant, he would enjoy joy in this local church in Philippi if they were spiritually united together. Apostle Paul had invested a lot of time, energy, and teaching into the Philippi Community Chapel. And a strong church that is unified would bring him true joy. Paul spoke of this later in 1 Thessalonians 5.12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, and have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So that was the first ingredient in having the unity that we need to have spiritually. The second ingredient is having the right marks, the right labels, the right tags, so to speak, And we pick that up at the last part of verse 2. It says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. The first mark, very clearly, being of the same mind, like-minded, to think the same thing, a common understanding, focusing on the right things, as we look a little further in Philippians 4.8, there's a good list. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's a good start in 4.8. Being of the same mind is reemphasized in Romans 15.5. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Soldiers in the army agree to seven core values, seven beliefs, that when we go into that branch, we have to agree to these. And many soldiers, I, I hate to say, don't review these real often, but it's a good list. And I think a lot of this is based on God's word. The seven army values, loyalty, 
bear true faith and allegiance to the U.S. Constitution, the Army, and other soldiers. Loyalty, duty, fulfill your obligations, accept responsibility for your own actions and those entrusted to your care. Thirdly, respect, rely upon the golden rule, how we consider others reflect upon each of us personally and professionally. Fourth, selfless service, put the welfare of the nation, the army, and your subordinates before your own. Fifth, honor, live up to all the army values. Integrity, do what is right legally and morally. Be willing to do what is right even when no one is looking. And then finally, personal courage, our ability to face fear, danger, or adversity, both physical and moral courage. Pretty good list. Those are seven core values that those in the army are to adhere to and follow. We're like-minded in the army. That's one thing when you talk to someone who's been in the service, it doesn't take long. It doesn't say, well, which, what's your resume look like? I'll see if I'll associate with you. As soon as they know you've been in the army, you've been in the Air Force, you've been in Marines, whatever branch, there's an immediate bond there because you have like-minded things that you're thinking back on that are the same. Well, as believers, we need to have doctrinal agreement. We need to know what we believe. And early on in ministry, I looked through God's Word. I looked toward men who had been in the ministry a long time and came up with ten foundations or convictions of my faith, things we believe on based on the Word. And if someone could show me I'm wrong from the Word, I'm willing to change. But these were ten that I came up with. And I think it's something to at least think about. Number one, the absolute infallibility of the Scriptures. That's very important. Two, the deity of Jesus Christ. Three, the virgin birth of the Savior. Four, the belief in the organic, the historical creation of Many by God is opposed to organic evolution. Five, the total depravity of man. I think we can see that all around us. Six, the substitutionary death of Christ. Seven, the literal and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number eight, salvation by grace through faith apart from works. Number nine, a literal return to this earth of Jesus Christ. And ten, the eternal blessedness of the saved and the eternal damnation of the unsaved. And I'm sure there are others we could add, but those were ten that I came up with. And when people say, what do I believe? I show them from Scripture. Those are the things I believe. And if someone shows me I'm wrong, again, from the Word, I'm willing to change. But at least know some things that you believe because Satan will trip you up. The world will trip you up. Because Satan wants us to believe anything but the Word. Put our trust in anyone but Jesus Christ. And if he can do that, he's got us on the wrong path, the path that too many are on today. While serving as an army chaplain, I counseled many soldiers who were confused because they'd hear somebody on the radio or they'd see somebody on the TV and they'd say, oh, chaplain is... is, What's he, uh, is he online? Is he in line with the Bible? Is this uh, 
truth or not? And I say, well, go to the Word. And we'd go to the Word and say, does this line up with what the Bible says? Well, no, but he's such a good talker. Well, he's a good talker, but that doesn't make what he's saying right. We always need to check things out with the Word of God. The goal for believers in Philippi was to think alike spiritually and doctrinally because it wasn't happening when Paul recorded these exhortations and that needed to change. And I think that's true for all of us or any of us where we need to be totally. Raise your hand. I'm not raising my hand. I'm just, I'm not, not putting it up there. I don't think any of us are. Every day we have room to grow. Being like-minded is based on the same love. Love for each other based on God's unconditional love for us. God doesn't say one day, well, John, uh, I'm putting up with you today, but, I'm, but tomorrow that's it, no more. It's unconditional. There's reminders for us shared in 1 John 3, 17, Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And then Romans 12.10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Preacher Henry Ironside shares this, Being like-minded, which is the mind of Christ, is the lowly mind. And if we are all of this mind, we shall walk together in love, considering one another, and seeking rather to be helpers of one's faith than challenging each other. So the second mark, maintaining the same love. It speaks of agape love, love of the will, making the choice to seek the welfare of its object, a desire to serve others, a growing love, First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you is toward one another and growing even greater. This mark is an identifier of a true believer and involves serving others and putting them before ourselves. Every believer at Lakeside can find some place to serve because we all need each other to serve. A third mark, united in spirit, talks about a selfless harmony with other believers. It rules out personal ambition or envy and jealousy. If each of us is controlled by humility and love, we won't allow petty differences to divide or impede our service for the Lord. A fourth mark, intent on one purpose, thinking one thing, reemphasizes having the same mind. It's spelled out specifically in Colossians 3, 12 to 16, as Pastor Joe's been sharing in the main service. And we need to ask ourselves, are these marks true in our lives? Are they reflecting the spiritual unity that we desperately need today? And if not, they should be. We need to ask God to help us to show that. The third ingredient in spiritual unity is shared in verses 3 and 4. And that ingredient is 
the right means or the how-to of spiritual unity. And that's in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. There's five means that are all interrelated in these two verses, and they lock in together. That first means, that first how-to, is do nothing from selfishness. In other words, forsake selfishness. And selfishness is the idea of building oneself up by tearing someone else down. It's a consuming and destructive sin because it breeds anger and resentment and jealousy. It was a big problem in Corinth, as recorded in 1 Corinthians 1, as there were divisions going on within the church. 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, 4 to 6, it says, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? When then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So the first means, do nothing from selfishness, forsake it. The second means, the second how-to, forsake empty conceit. Empty conceit is having a highly exaggerated self-view, seeking personal glory at personal accomplishments. A conceited person centers on himself or herself. It's arrogant pride. And I love this picture, strutting around like a male peacock, displaying all their colorful feathers, saying, look at me, look at all my pretty feathers. That's not what it's about. Romans eleven twenty five. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In Galatians 6.3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. A third means, how to, is have a humble mind. Literally, lowliness of mind. It's the opposite of pride. Warren Worsby shares, Humility is that grace that when you know you have it, you've lost it. That's a pretty good summary. We have a warning by Solomon, Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. The example of Moses in Numbers 12:3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. What a compliment. Paul in Acts 20 and 18, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility and tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Jesus speaks of being humble in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the gentle 
for they shall inherit the earth. Peter speaks of humility in 1 Peter 5, 5. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. True humility requires we regard ourselves as under those that are around us. In other words, it's living out joy. Jesus, others, and you. The fourth how-to is don't be selfish. Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Literally means to observe something. The idea of giving close attention and special consideration to self. We live in a world that talks about I, me, myself. Aren't you worth it? You're number one. That isn't what God says. We're to be down the list. Others are to be. God is to be first, but then others should come second and we last. In service in the local church, thinking one ministry is higher than another, flaunting a certain spiritual gift is more important than someone else, we all need each other, and it doesn't matter what the gift or gifts are, but we function together as a body, not just one functioning at a higher level. We all need each other. John MacArthur shares, when the supreme virtue is self-love and the supreme purpose in life is self-fulfillment, mutual respect is replaced by disrespect. Mutual service by apathy and indifference, and mutual love by enmity and hatred. I was reading uh, from this new booklet that John MacArthur put out called Forgiving One Another. I don't know if uh, any of you had a chance to look at it. It just came out this year. But he talks about the selfishness even in this booklet. And there was one paragraph that I just want to share with you. Forgiveness requires us to set aside selfishness. Accept with grace the wrongs others have committed against us and not demand what we think is our due. All of that runs counter to our natural sinful inclinations. So who do we have to depend on to be able to really forgive? On God. He's the only one who can do it through us. So we need to Think about that at least in forgiveness, how selfish we can be. Spiritual gifts are given out by the Holy Spirit and no one is better or more important than someone else. The fifth means how to is look out for others. We see that in the last part of verse 4, but also for the interests of others. It's difficult to consider or regard others more important than ourselves, yet every week in faith builders, as we gather in our prayer groups, we should be regarding and praying for each other as being more important than ourselves. And one thing I've learned when I tell someone that I'm going to pray for them so that I keep my word, I pray for them immediately in my mind. Because you know why? God hears that. Satan can't read our minds. He can watch us. He can study us, but he can't read our minds. But God can. So when we say we're going to pray for somebody, immediately pray for them. So 
If you forget the next day, which I do, and the older I get, the more things I forget. But I have a wife who helps me remember some things from time to time, which I need that help. But pray, when we pray for one another, we we need to remember others' needs and not just our own. Romans 14, 19, it says, So when we pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another... Romans 15, 1, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. And again, Galatians 6, 2, Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. Does it make a difference when we know people are praying for us? Does it? Can we tell? Does God work in our lives because of it? No. But He hears the prayers And he works on our behalf, sometimes despite us. Amen? Sometimes we have it all, and we say, Lord, bless my plans. Is that how it works? No. God says, I have something better for you. And that's where the hard part is. And if we know others are praying for us, we know God's will will be accomplished in our lives in that situation. It's not easy. We can respond to others' physical and spiritual needs three different ways. We can avoid them. So I didn't hear that. Uh, uh, didn't hear it. Or we could add to their troubles. Or we can help alleviate them. And I pray number three is our response. If we're able to help a fellow believer and we don't, there's a warning, James 2. We see somebody in need and do nothing, Faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. How can we show we have faith? We don't do anything, and we're able to. So in conclusion, we've seen three ingredients of our exhortation to have spiritual unity. The first being the blessings of spiritual unity. The second, having the right marks of spiritual unity. And the third and final ingredient having the means, the right means, the how-to of spiritual unity. Do we need to work on it? Yes, we all do. Until we hear the trumpet and meet Jesus in the air, and it could be today. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement we receive in Philippians. Lord, may we be unified spiritually. We live in a world that tears away. They tore away at you, Lord. They mistreated you. They persecuted you. They hated you. But Lord, we are your children. May we live lives that honor and bring glory to you. May we apply your word. May we show the world that We're one body in Christ. We're all sinners saved by grace. That we live each day, one day at a time. Strengthen us, Lord. Guide us and protect each one. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.